Okay, welcome to the Grind and Gratitude Show. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. If you've been an avid listener, then you already know I got a lot of love for you. Today, we have a very special guest. And you know that when I bring you guests, they're people that I believe in, they're people that I believe can give you something that's going to help you see something different or do, do something different. Now, my guest today is none other than Jamie Morgan Brown. Jamie has, he's a true Renaissance man. Let me put it like this. I can't even read his whole entire bio because it's just too extensive, but I'm going to give you all a taste of what this man has done. He has over 30 years in the entertainment business, working with some of the biggest artists ever, from Chris Tucker to Eddie Murphy to Michael Jackson. Yes, you heard me say he worked with Michael Jackson to a number of other celebrities. After he moved from L.A. to Atlanta, he got into freelance news and got into TV production. And some of his credits include, like, get this, y'all, the Oprah Winfrey Show, the Fresh Prince, Tom Joyner Morning Show, the Discovery Channel, and a whole bunch of other things. This man's done a lot. Now, I have to tell you about this. He currently has a a best-selling book out right now called uh, I Ate My Way Back to Health and So Can You. And he's a two-time international speech contest winner. He's a true Renaissance man. So let's all welcome my man, Jamie Morgan Brown, to the show. Welcome to the show, Jamie. How are you? Thank you, my dear brother. I'm absolutely on point. I'm on fire right now. Feeling really good. Health is good. Family's good. Spending time with my granddaughter. I can't get any better than this. Oh, that's that's Glad that's to be. Glad to be here. That's beautiful. Getting to spend some time with your granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, she keeps me busy, bro. <laughs> Sometimes I say it's a world for me, is a world for her. World for her. <laughs> That's so great, man. You know, we're going to get into a bunch of things today, but I think one of the things that people are probably going to want to know right off the top is like, how did you get into the entertainment industry working with all of these big celebrities? How did I get into the, I guess it, it sort of like fell in my lap. Sometimes you're looking for things, sometimes things are looking for you. I was, boy, it takes me back to my short pants days in New York, running the streets, trying to grow up. And I knew young in life that there was more to life than going to some detention center, getting locked up, like all the people in my neighborhood, getting killed, black on black, gang on gang, all that crazy stuff, drugs, peer pressure. And I went through it all. And I watched a lot of my friends die. But I knew even then I knew that there was something inside of me that if I stayed a course, if I listened to that in the spirit, was going to pull me through this. And it did. So I used to, you know, I grew up in Jersey City. So I used to get on a train, hop the train most of the time, but then I had the token of money just to get away from my environment. I go to New York and I would see life like I've never seen it before. Tall buildings, people everywhere, taxis, movie theaters. And Broadway. When I was a kid, my mom and dad brought me to see a Broadway show called Peggy and Bess. And that left such a profound mark, impression on me as a kid. I probably was around six or seven years of age. Oh, wow. And when I got to New York, I just started saying, wow, I want to do that. They took me to go see James Brown at the Apollo. Wow. Amazing. I want to do that. So I knew that even though I was on the streets doing some not so good things, inside of me, there was a high at home. And I just had to stay the course. I just wound up auditioning and getting to my first play. I never looked back since then. Yeah, I think you and I have similar paths. You know, I grew up in that type of environment and I was always looking for a way out. And what saved me was basketball. Basketball saved me. I got me to university and really got me out of that environment. I think the fact that you knew that there was more and then you actually made the leap and to applied yourself. And so once you kind of got in that world, how did you kind of end up working with all these celebrities? Well, I was doing a show off, off Broadway and they was filming a TV show called Fame. And that starred then Irene Cara and Gene Anthony Ray, the guy with the braids. And there was another play called Pearly 
and cats. I'm looking at all these things as I'm talking to you. And Shirley Ruff was doing Dream Girl. Wow. And I was surrounded by all of this amazing energy. And then I got to meet this person and that person. It just mushroomed. So I went to take fame to California. And I was kind of like seeing somebody on the show whose name I read not mentioned. <laughs> and so she was moving to fame. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to California. When I got to L.A., I got off the plane and I think I was a Richard Price home within 45 minutes. What? You know? Yeah. 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 My, <clears throat> I, I'll tell this story quickly. I have a Hollywood brother who I love, like my real brother, right? He was probably the first person in my life that gave me some sort of inspiration because he was much older than I, and he saw something in me. Well, he's a very well known bodyguard, if you will, security advisor, cook in the Hollywood business. He's so popular that you have to pretty much win an Oscar to even get a service. That's amazing. And so he's 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 a special dude. You'll hear about him in due time. He sort of like raised me off the streets. He gave me my first introduction to martial arts. So I always looked up to him. When I got to Hollywood, I stayed with him. When he went, I was shortly behind. <laughs> and Murphy and all these cats and yeah, and, and people felt me and saw something in me and say, let's do some things together and wind up just being, just working out for me. Well, I met some wonderful people. I had some, some good times in Hollywood. Glad I'm not dead now, but I had some good times. I think that's amazing. And I think what we have to understand is that when people see something in you, listen to them, pay attention, even if you don't see it in yourself, because people seen things, saw things in me that I never saw. And I just listened. I, I, I thought, wow, you think I can go to university or you think I can do these things? And it's the same with you. It's like you listen to this guy. He saw something in you and you actually listened. What was it at the time that made you kind of just like listen to these people who believed in you? I didn't want to die. I didn't want to be a crackhead. I didn't want to go to jail. I wanted more out of life, you know. I'm nothing special in terms of how I grew up. I grew up on the streets. I mean, I would, you can call it a hood rat, you can call it a sore rat. I was a sore rat. And I saw some incredible things with my friends. One time, someone said, Jamie, drive me uptown for a minute. It was about one in the morning. I said, drive uptown. I'm not going uptown this, this late. The next morning, my friend, his head was found blown off in the streets on 127th Street of Lennox in Harlem. Damn. I could have went with him. And these are the kind of people that I was moving with. But there was always that inner voice that said, no, you just got to get past this moment. But what made me listen? I knew there was something in me that was different. I always felt that way about myself. I mean, I've seen my best friend to this day just blew his head off about six years ago. You serious? Yeah. But... God has something planned for me, had to, or else this would have been over since grammar school. Right. So I was doing some not so good things in grammar school, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, that I'm not proud of today. But yes, it all made me who I am today. And I can talk and teach and inspire others. I'm grateful for every experience that I've ever had. In my life. I don't think I've turned out to be a bad guy. I'm pretty good today. Uh, it seems like you, you've had quite an interesting life to me. I, I, I met you on Clubhouse, I don't even know how long ago. It seems like we've known each other for, for years, and it might be only eight, nine, ten months or something. And I heard you speak in one of these. Uh, for those who don't know, Clubhouse is an audio app where you can go on the app and you can connect with people and host conversations with the rooms of people. And I met you on the app. And the first time that I heard you speak, I thought, man, this 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 brother is amazing. When you you shared a bit of your story and you talked about your history and all the things that happened in your life, I think everybody in that room was just in awe of your story and and, and how you delivered it. And you know, you said something like you're here to inspire other people and to motivate them to see something or to spark something in them. 
like where does all that come from? Does it come from like the 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 life that you lived and all those tough uh, you know tough times that you've been through? Like where does that come from? That passion and that desire to get people to see something in themselves. You know, as odd as this may sound, it all comes from racism. Something that I felt as a child in grammar school, I just never understood. And I tell you the, the God's honest truth. I always wondered why the world couldn't get along. Like, if I have a piece of bread and you're hungry and my piece of bread can just help you, why not just give me a piece of bread? So I always looked at things. I try not to complicate things that can appear to be complicated. They're only complicated because we put our own intelligence into things and our this and that. Keep it simple. Good, bad, right, wrong, hungry, starve. Just keep it simple. So I always, as a youngster, always wanted to see the world just do better. Mm. I always wondered, why is he treating her this way? Or why are they saying this about this person? Or why is he going in the back of a police car for no reason? I just saw him say. So for me, I'm always inspired to inspire people to, to be the best they can be. I really believe that really believe that the world needs healing and it doesn't cost a penny. Be kind. So, just be kind. So that's my inspiration. I always want to help people because someone helped me. I always want to put a smile on your face because it's easy to get things done. Always want to put a smile on your face because people are inspired by smiles. You know, when smiling makes you feel better. When you feel better, you do better. You're kinder to people. That's true. That's, no, that's so true. And, and like right now, there might be someone out there who's struggling right now who just feels like their world is upside down. They feel like giving up. Like, what would you say to that one person right now who just needs, they need to hear something to uplift their spirits so that they can keep going? What would you say to that person right now? Take a deep breath and just know that God is inside of you and his voice is there. All you have to do is be still, be quiet. That voice that says you're special, you hear that voice that says you're necessary, you hear that voice that says the world needs you, you, to help make the world a better place. Just know that that voice is for you and only Never give up. I don't care how bad you feel at this very moment. Just know that this too shall come to pass. It will pass. All you have to do is find the world to live. And that's a simple question. Do you want to live or do you not want to live? You want to live. You're just depressed. So it makes you say, I don't want to live. That's a moment in time. Depression doesn't stick. It doesn't last forever. So endure this moment. This depression that you're in is real. I know you can feel that feeling that you're feeling. But know that that feeling that you're feeling right now it's going to go away. Just hold on. That's what Wow, that was so powerful, man. That was so powerful. I know somebody out there needed to hear that. I know someone needed to hear that. So thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, you have this interesting story in this, that you share with people. And I'm going to get you to talk about it in a minute. But in the midst of everything that you've kind of gone through, all of your experiences working in Hollywood, getting into martial arts, which, you know, we, we're going to talk about that. What's one thing that you learned about yourself that you didn't really know 
until recently? I I love a good question. That sounds like a very good question. I just want to understand it. Can you please repeat the question? I wasn't really clear about it. Yeah. What's something that you've learned about yourself recently that you didn't know before? Like recently in the last six months or eight months or even the last year that you didn't know before? That I have a purpose. I discovered my greatness. I have a purpose. Do you know how it feels to find your purpose? Do you know how it feels? There's a difference. Living life because you have a life to live. Imagine living a life with a purpose. That's new for me. That's new for me. I've discovered the greatness within myself. You have a lot to do with that. The world has a lot to do with that. I didn't know these things existed inside of me. I'm so excited about life now that I've found my purpose. I'm still dealing with that whole thing. Is it too late? I'm still dealing with time. So that's something I'm wrestling with at my age. No, it's never too late. I wish I could have found this 30 years ago. Now that I know that I have it, the work is just beginning. So what is your purpose and how did you find it? Another good question. I had a brain tumor. And I wasn't able to come off the house. And after my surgery and all that stuff, and I got my eyesight back, a friend of mine came and said, Jamie, they're having this wonderful debate at the Martin Luther King Center in Atlanta. I would like to just bring you as my guest. Sure, no problem. I want to get out the house. I haven't been out the house in months. So I go, and I'm sitting in the audience, and my friend who, I got to say his name just for the homage, I got to say, his name is Tommy, played Tommy on the Martin sitcom. <laughs> he passed away. That's why I'm mentioning his name because he passed. So rest in peace. Yes. My Amazing show. Tommy invited me. So I'm sitting in the audience speaking. And I don't know what he says. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special friend in the audience who just had brain surgery. Blah, 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 blah. I want him to come on up. And I'm like, oh, why is he embarrassing me to come up on stage? So I kept on stage says, look at this man. Da, 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 da. It doesn't look, you know, amazing. He just had his brain surgery. I'm like, okay. So I started speaking. And on the panel are all of these professional politicians, if you will, religious leaders, if you will, and artists that were on stage. And I started speaking about the subject matter. And people started asking me questions. So at the break, the person who produced the show said, Jamie, did you say you were going to write a book? I said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. He says, you got to meet someone. And all the celebrities were in the house that day. So we walk outside and there's this amazing crowd of people sitting around this guy. And she goes in between the whole, whole crowd and she says, Mr. Monroe. And he says, ah, there's that gentleman right there. He says, young man, you have a great voice and your message is powerful and you need to be speaking. Cut to, yeah, 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 yeah. He called me and he asked, was I looking for someone to write a forward for my book? Duh, yes. I think and you should tell everybody so which, which Mon- you should let everybody know which Monroe that was. <laughs> Say that again. I'm sorry. Let everybody know who exactly which Monroe you're talking about. Tell them who 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 you're talking about. This is the iconic Miles Monroe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. And he called me, and so he would always encourage me and says, "Young man, I'm going to take you here, and I'm going to do this and do that." He said, "Would you come out to my church next year because I do a leadership conference?" I said, "Sure." Well. When he invited me, I couldn't come at that, that weekend because I had to work. But I said I was going to come the next week. <clears throat> I got a phone call at night that he had died in a plane crash. So sad. So my spirit started saying I could have been on that plane. So I let that go. And I said, you know, he would always say, Jamie, are you speaking? 
find your purpose. Even Les Brown, find your purpose. And I remember saying, then I said, before I turn 60, I want to find my purpose. And all I can remember is hearing Dr. Miles Monroe sing to me in my sleep, are you speaking? Are you speaking? Damn it, I'm going to go join Toastmasters. I want to find my purpose. And I did something in the history of Toastmasters that has never been done. I went to international contests within six months of being. And people who even joined have been speaking for 10 years, eight years, 12 years, 16 years. So I came and just... Congratulations. Yeah. And that's all Miles Monroe. So winning that and getting the applause and hearing what people are saying and touching people and impacting people all over. I mean, I've been impacting people just from my story, but now I'm putting a voice behind it and learning how to craft my voice and learning how to speak to an audience and command an audience. Wow, I have actually found my purpose and I'm living in that. I don't, that story is just so amazing to me. I, I can't, I can't believe, well, I can believe it's, it's when you answer the call, you know, it's about answering the call. So many people feel like they're being pulled towards something. So many people are even asked to step up by other people and they're just, they're not ready or they, they just don't do it. But you actually answered the call. Dr. Miles Monroe saw something in you. You, you answered the call. You have this, this history throughout your life when you made a decision that you wanted more to answer the call through what other people see in you. There's, there's, this, there's this pattern of you connecting with people, them seeing something in you, and you like believing in what they see in you and, and, and doing moving forward, getting into acting, getting into Hollywood. Tommy asked you to stand on stage that day. You come up and you speak. Dr. Miles Monroe said, I want to help you with this book. There's this history of you answering the call. That's amazing. Then just even listening to you say what you just said, because, man, people have been seeing things in me for a long time. And where the hell was I at? And what was I thinking? I never, just hearing you say what you just said, it's hard for me to hear because I'm not used to compliments. I never thought I would amount to anything. I just knew that I'd get off these streets. I didn't know where God was going to take me, but I knew I, I had to get off these streets. I'm not used to compliments. I'm not used to hearing these things when people say nice things to me. I can remember working with Michael Jackson. And so when he came on the set, this is what the director said to everybody in the room. Mr. Michael Jackson's going to come on the set and don't no one even look at him. He gave this director, don't no one even look at him. And you've been at talk to him and you've been at ask him for an autograph. If you are, you will be removed from this set. I will be right back. When Michael Jackson came, he called me. Michael Jackson called you. Called me. I had to tell the story. First of all, I met him the day before, well, maybe a week before, to go over the rhythms that we were doing together. But the day of the set, they have what's called, Hollywood people know, it's called a photo op. So Michael called me up, and I came, and we talked for a brief moment. He says, would you like to take a picture? At that moment, the director came and said, Mr. Brown! And Michael said, it's okay. I asked him to take a picture with me. And Michael asked me to do a world tour with him as his drama. But my point is that I never even thought I'd meet Michael Jackson. And people ask me, how is it to meet Michael Jackson? Even my wife, she loves Michael Jackson. I said that for everybody else is how is Michael to meet me? It's not, I, I think that what I've been doing in life, I think that I'm not impressed to meet anyone as impressed as I am to be staying where I'm standing. So it's not how that I feel meeting Michael Jackson. It's how did Michael Jackson feel for me to me? Because I mean, I'd be famous, but my life experiences outweigh any amount of awards that you can possibly ever even imagine. I'm still standing. So when people say these nice things about me, even hearing you, 
inside my heart kind of tears because I'm used to nothing like this. And I just hope that I can resonate with people to see the greatness within themselves because it's there. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting hearing you say that. And I love the perspective that you put on that. You know, everybody's asking you, what is it like to meet all of these people? But you're in the room with them. You have your own gifts and your own talents. They see something in you to want to be around you. That's the other way we have to look at this. We have to look at it like, what, what did Michael Jackson see in you to say, to call you up, to, to ask you to be in his music video, to be, go on tour with them? It's not, it's not a one-way thing. And we have to understand our value in the world. And I'm so thankful and grateful that you said that because sometimes we look at other people and we look at their success and we compare ourselves to them. And because we're not where they are, we think, well, I'm, I'm not, I have no value. And that's not true. Every single person has a gift, a talent, a purpose, a reason that we're here. And maybe your purpose or reason was to get some of these quote unquote celebrities to see things about themselves that maybe they had forgotten about. Maybe they wanted to be around you because they realized like, this is a powerful guy. He knows who he is or he knows who he's becoming. So I want to be around somebody like that. So I'm glad that you said that because I think there's some people right now who need to understand that you have something special. And the life that you lived, obviously, with all of the opportunities that came your way, a lot of people understood that you have something special. And so you, you well, my, my point to you is you have to get used to hearing compliments because you're going to hear a lot more as you go out there in the world and start speaking on stages all over the world. So I, I just kind of wanted to tell you that. That's amazing. And, and thank you. I'm learning. I'm humble. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you kind of breezed over this whole thing about brain tumor. And I know people are thinking, well, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> so can you just back up and sort of tell us a little bit about that part of your life? Because I think that that story uh, will really inspire a lot of people who might be going through some challenges when they hear what you have to say. So can you talk, talk to us about like how it, what happened and that whole story about the brain, brain injury? Yes. I, uh, wow. I had a headache every day for over 10 years. And I thought my headache was because of allergies. Because when I lived in LA, I would have a seasonal sneeze. It's like you're just blowing dust off the <laughs> And when I moved to Atlanta, I started sneezing. My eyes would itch. My breathing would start becoming affected says something and just go and check it out. So I go to my doctor and she would just give me my Claritin and maybe a stronger dosage here and there. And I did that for 10 years until one day I was with my son's at football practice and we had just gotten home from football practice and we were eating dinner and I said, I forgot to get the mail. I'll never forget, I went outside to get the mail. It was a beautiful summer night. And as soon as I opened the mailbox, I can remember grabbing the mail, but I couldn't see it. I knew I had the mail in my hand and I'm looking at it, but I could not see anything. Period. My eyes were getting watery. And then it's like everything started to get blurry. I looked up at the stars, looked up at the sky. And I kind of like saw some things, I guess they look like stars, but it just was very blurry. And when I came back to get the mail, my eyes just completely shut. I didn't see anything. I was blind. You, you, that you couldn't see anything? I was gone. I can hear the cars that were passing by in the neighborhood. And I strained to look at them. I strained to keep my eye. You know, I didn't see anything. It was over. It was a wrap. And that voice, you know, I'm ready to panic. To lose your eyesight, I was ready to panic. But that inner voice said, don't panic, just don't panic. 
So I made it down the banister, feeling my way through. And as soon as I opened the door, I was in the kitchen. My eyes like returned. It looked like someone just turned back on the circuit. Really? And Danny, when I tell you when that happened, I was the happiest. <laughs> Happiness is an understatement. But I knew in that moment that something was really, really wrong. And it was. It was a brain tumor. I had a very rare brain tumor. And that took my eyesight for a while. And the tumor that I had is only found in infants and children up to 11 years of age, which I thought that was kind of profound when the doctor told me that. Really? Yeah, and I had um, the, the iconic, the famous Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He led the surgery, you know, and as I understood, he took it because of the rarity of that type of tumor in someone at my age. I had this at the age of 47, and they had no information, no research was done. I was held. I but wait, that, that tumor is only found in infants, and you caught it at 47 at years old. Which attracted Sanjay Gupta and other neurosurgeons around the world because they flocked to Atlanta to perform the surgery, you know, and, and that alone was <clears throat> was amazing. So I was told they asked me that I want to be used for medical research. I agreed because I wanted to help as long as I, as long as I didn't have to ingest any food or any pills or anything like that. But they said no; they want to keep me on the you know observation and do what they normally do. So yes, I was released actually a couple of years ago. I was a bit of sleep because I got to know everybody in the medical facility. You know, <laughs> and people call me baby Jesus. So <laughs> oh my goodness, it was kind of funny because some nurses would even like want to rub up against me. That's a part of my life that I'll never forget. I'm so thankful. I met a lot of wonderful nurses, a lot of wonderful doctors, learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about life. And most of all, I learned a lot about God in me. Yeah. That, what, what got you through that emotionally? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't fake this one. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about depression. I was so depressed that I planned my own funeral. I'll say that one again because I need to hear that. I was so depressed that I planned my own funeral. If it wasn't for God, I probably lost my mind. Because not to be able to see not to be able to see is that's a fear that I never wanted to experience in my life. But when God came on the scene and when that whole thing started happening, not to be God, 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 but that spirit that God holds. Once that entered, I realized then that it was time to drown my fears in the river of courage. And it took courage for me to get through what I went through because I was challenged every step of the way drown my fears in courage in the river of courage in the river of courage drown my fears in the river of courage that is powerful and so how did you go from not blaming god for what happened to you to believing that he had more for you that's a good question because even in my book, in my intro somewhere, my whole thing is I didn't believe in God because if there was a God, why would he do this to me? I'm a good person. I help people. Why would God do something like this to me? But then I realized that God chooses his strongest soldiers to give his biggest challenges to when you go through those sort of life-threatening experiences, you were chosen for that because no one could do it <clears throat> the way you do it. No one could teach 
the way you're going to teach because of the person that you are. You know, some of these things bring out the best in us. I didn't know. I mean, look, I literally went to the funeral parlor. Matter of fact, I just passed there a few days ago. And every time I, I drive past that, I'm like, I just smirk up like, <laughs> wow. I remember when something from being depressed to being happy now, something happens there. All we got to do is hang on. It's coming. Um, I didn't, God was, for me, I didn't come up in a religious family. So I was never into the, that God thing like that. Jesus, yeah. Jesus. And I'm not knocking those who are, I'm just saying my experiences. Right. Because we all need something to believe in. <laughs> you know? And if you say you don't believe in anything, that's believing in something. So for me, I discovered the power of God. I always knew the presence of God. But in this experience, I discovered the power of God because he took me from not, he took me from not wanting to live and crafted me into this person who wants to heal every person who I'm in front of. I want to touch every person's ear who can hear my word. That whole thing with God with me was an experience because I didn't believe. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there was a God, why would he do this to me? I didn't do this. Nothing for me to do to deserve something like this. I mean, I was angry. Even when you read my book, you'll see some of the moments I was angry. It's like, yo, why are you doing this to me? You know, I remember being in my room and just trying to throw the TV out my window. I was so trying to look at the Super Bowl. I said, God, wait, I, I mean, I just went off on God. But God has a way of teaching his way yeah his time i believe that and you remain humble stay patient the answers will come oh, i love god <laughs> uh, that's, that's so true that's so true you, you're you're right about that and pe- i think the answer for a lot of people who have an extended period of depression or low self-esteem or not seeing something in themselves. I think they need to believe in something greater than themselves. Now, I don't know what that is. And maybe God, it could be something else, the universe, the creator, however you think you got here. But I think sometimes we put our life on our own strength. Not enough. Right. There you go. There you go. There you go. It's just not enough. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to surrender. Did you create yourself or were you created? So it's just not enough to just know that you are the answer. You are the vehicle in which the answer will be coming to, but you're not the answer. That's so good. Life is a beautiful, beautiful journey. All you have to do is just be humble, be kind, just be loving, just... So when you stand on stages, you know, you have the book now, we're going to talk about the book in a second, but, but what's the message? What, what's one thing that you want people to leave with every time that you speak? What do you want them to leave with? That you're powerful. That the world needs you. Just know that the world needs you. We need you, that you are valid, that you are important, that you are necessary, that without you, the world is missing a very important part to the puzzle of humanity, that your existence matters, that your person matters, that your voice matters. We need you. It's just unfortunate that you don't see it, but we we need you. You are valuable. I want every person, man, imagine I'm talking to Danny now. Imagine me talking to a more powerful Danny who's even more assured of who he is and why he is. Now imagine what that conversation looks like. We all live to learn and to be elevated. We don't know. We're living this life to learn. So we don't know where this road ends. But we have to have to submit to just being better people, just within ourselves. You are necessary. We're all necessary. We're all a part of this wonderful thing called the human race, right? We're all one people, one blood. But yes, if you don't see that you are valuable, you are doing me the service. That's kind of selfish of you, actually. Hmm. People love you, but you don't love yourself. 
the mm-hmm. price of love. Yeah. Of you not not to love yourself when other people love you. Yeah, that's kind of selfish to me. Uh, it's kind of. Yeah, I I I, I think um, I, I never I, I never used to be really good at accepting compliments and. You know, I grew up in the same type of environment, a lot of violence, drugs, you know. Um, and so I never really knew that there was anything special about me. And it took me a long time and a lot of um, listening to myself, listening to other people, searching for more, understanding the impact that I would make when I would go out there and speak to somebody. It took a lot of, a lot of that to start to get me to understand that I, do, I am valuable. I can make an impact. And I think a lot of people might look at you, someone who's confident, stands on stages, you know, has a book out there, is this powerful speaker, or they may look at me, someone who comes across as being confident and say, well, that's just you guys. You, 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 you just, you're just like that. It, it, it's in you. And I don't know about you, but it was never in me. <laughs> it took a lot of self-work for me to to build up my confidence, to be able to know that I have value. It wasn't something that was just natural for me. I don't know about you. I disagree with that with with all of us, people who speak like that. I understand it. I think we're all born with the gift. Cancer made me understand it because I said, doctor, how do you catch cancer cells? Everybody's born with cancer cells. They just mutate based on circumstances. I believe that every gift is already in you. God already defined you. God already Mm -hmm. planted those seeds already in you. It's Mm -hmm. your journey in life when you recognize it. Yeah, that's where Miles talks about you know the best dreams are not in people but in the graveyard, right? Because they live a whole life and their dreams are in the graveyard. That's cheating the world. That's cheating the world. I believe that it's already in you, Danny. All of your greatness, nothing is is there for you to discover. That's a good point. It's always been there, and your life journeys will either cause you to recognize them, stumble upon them. So let's talk about your book. Sure. <laughs> I love that. Let's talk about the book. Uh, tell everybody about the book and why you decided to write it. Yes, I wrote this amazing book called I Ate My Way Back to Hell. So can you. And it's interesting, the so can you part, because it just wasn't enough that I ate my way back to hell. I can see again. I can breathe again. Life is beautiful. I can see colors again. But if I can do it, so can you. Hmm. That, to me, is just as important as that I ate my way back to hell. I think that when we learn lessons, they're through us. But the lessons that we learn are not for us. They're for those that come behind us. You know, we're those vessels. I wrote the book because I felt it was so necessary, man. When I... First of all, I didn't want to write the book to begin with. But as people started hearing about my story and reading my story and talking to me and taking my simple advice in terms of just how to eat, I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't tell you what you need to be doing with your nutrition, but I made suggestions as to how I got myself back on the road. And people took heed to that and they implemented those things in their own lives. And they would call me and say, Jamie, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling excellent. Thank you for that information. I had a friend of mine who I met when I was sick from China. And he called me crying on the phone. Oh, Mr. Brown, my son, he's seven years old. He's tired from brain tumor. Like, please. He would break down on the phone. I told him what I did. And he did it. And today, I still haven't made it to, made it to China, but we still talk today. And son is doing fine. So. Really? Uh, yeah, and I started hearing these sort of testimony from people. And I said, I don't want to be a nutritionist. But I realized because of the questions and me speaking on stages, people were asking questions dealing with nutrition. So I said, let me get certified in nutrition, but not as a nutritionist, but as a consultant. Yes. So we can talk about nutrition opposed to me telling you what to eat. Yes. And people are really enjoying what I have to say and to my surprise. So I just felt that let me do this again and let me really put some things in it now that I've educated myself a little bit more. 
So I'm very excited about the book. I, I would like for the book to be the Bible of health because I'm dealing with every, you know, we, when we read books about nutrition, it's always about the foods, how to grow the foods, what to eat, the seasoning. This book, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just touching on that. I want to empower the person that reads the book to say, hey, this book is about me. I need to get my stuff together. Yes. I need to like, yo, I really need to think about my godchildren and my sons and my daughters. And am I going to be around when they get to high school? I need to. So for me, it was about bringing attention to look at themselves, honestly, to look at themselves and say, maybe I do need to make some nutritional changes and some some lifestyle changes and people changes and spiritual changes, not just what am I eating today and yesterday, but health for me is a, is, is a lifestyle. It's not just one aspect of eating. It's, it's being kind. Being kind is just as important as drinking fresh water. I can't separate the two. You know, food has a frequency. When you get sick, you're at a low frequency, right? Every food has its frequency. And I don't want to go through the food and their frequencies, but you can certainly buy the book and see. But every food has a frequency and processed foods have zero frequency. So when you're eating foods with a high frequency, your mental, your psychological being, you just start feeling better. You learn how to be kind all over again. Yes. So it was important for me to write the book. And hopefully when people read it, it will resonate with a part of their life that they either questioned before or didn't know existed. I want to turn people's mental light on when they read the book. Yeah. And I think, well, you won't say this, but I'll say it. I mean, just based on some of your testimonies, you literally save people's lives. You know, that man in China, you saved his son's life. Um, You, you got people to realize things about their health and their wellness that they had been neglecting. And now they are taking ownership of that. And I think that's really, really important for people to understand. It doesn't matter what type of lifestyle you've been living over the years. You can always improve your health and your wellness. And I love the fact that you're saying that because a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm 150 pounds overweight and I can just never lose this or everybody in my family is like this or we've always been the type of people that haven't been able to you know, we're all big bonus. So we haven't been able to kind of get healthy. So we, we make these excuses and it just gets insurmountable where we think that we can never get our health back on track. And I love the fact that you're saying, well, no, yes, you can, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that happens <clears throat> more often than not. And I think that, you know, a lot of people believe or think that health starts perhaps at the doctor's office, perhaps at some health center. I don't care how well you live. I don't care how healthy you eat. If your mind isn't developing, if you aren't feeding your mind positive aspirations, a positive lifestyle, which means getting rid of the old, bringing the new, cutting off the finger to save the hand, cutting off negativity, wherever it may come from. If you don't make becoming healthy a lifestyle change, then your success is only temporary. Mm. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. So where can people get the book? Because you know everybody's going to want to know where can they buy the book. So where can they buy the book? Well, they can buy the book <clears throat> on my website. That's jmorganbrown.com. The letter J. I have an official release date as of yesterday. Danny, my release date is August the 17th. Go to Amazon. Well, this is what I'm asking because I want my book to become my best. So I had people that are strategizing. But you can buy my book on Amazon as of August the 17th. But you can pre-order my book now. You can go to my Instagram at Jamie Morgan Brown or at Jamie Morgan Bay, B-E-Y, at Jamie Morgan Brown on Instagram. 
and you go to Linktree and just pop it up. And also watch this. If you go to my Instagram and go to my Linktree, you can download a free copy of an audio chapter of my book and you can order my book there. What? So yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Yeah. People, you definitely listen, everybody, you have to go to his Instagram, download that free um, chapter. Yes. And I'm going to talk you through it. And so you can hear my voice and you can just relax and just listen to me tell my story. (laughs) So That's so amazing. I love that. Listen, Jamie, uh, we could go on for hours. I mean, you're definitely a Renaissance man. You, you know, you definitely have lived uh, a really interesting life. Uh, the journeys that you've been on, the paths that you've been on, the connections that you've made, you know, the things that you've overcome. I think a lot of people are going to take take away some some nuggets from this conversation and maybe look at themselves and look at their life a little bit different. So. You know, I definitely want to thank you for coming on the show, brother. I really, really appreciate having you on here and, um, you know, definitely looking forward to to hearing you on stages around the world, to grabbing a copy of your book. Um, I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing because ne- it's never too late to find your purpose or your gift and to share it with the world. It's never too late. See, we all have our legacy and I'll say what Maya Angelou said, your legacy is every life that you have touched. That's my legacy, and I want to be your legacy. Touch people's lives, serve people, love each other, and be kind. Keep it simple. Well, thank you so much, everybody. This has been a a fantastic episode. I thank you for tuning in. Again, every single Monday, we drop a brand new episode to help you um, realize things about yourself, tap into that inner champion, find those things that that you never realized about yourself to create the life that you want. So thank you so much for tuning in everybody. And I will catch you in the next episode. Take care.